Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. It's Friday evening here on the West Coast, live from Las Vegas. This is Nick. And I got to tell you, I've had one hell of a couple weeks, our Friday episodes, which I know post on Saturday mornings, guys, but our Friday episodes were delayed. I, I was dealing with coronavirus. Uh, I got it. Family got it. Uh, just one of those tough situations, uh, but got through it. You know, no, no complaints. It was uh, everybody came out great and back ready to go. So let's get started today. What I missed. And for those of you watching, the Arizona auctions happened while I was down for the count. Barrett, Jackson, Scottsdale especially. And I get hit by Barrett, Jackson again. Uh, we had a client take delivery of $167,000 purchase on a muscle car. He hops in, he turns the key, revs the engine, kaboom. The engine blows up. And that's the auction world. It's one of the things that I went and listened to some car podcasts, some guys that I respect. And I got to tell you, it really upsets me when we're just not honest. The auction world is a questionable world, let's say. I don't think it's filled with a bunch of questionable people, but it's a dealership world. I've stated this on a few episodes back as we talked about auction, in-person auctions coming back. They did massive numbers down in Scottsdale. So as I stated a few weeks back, live auctions are not dead. We know that online auctions are overtaking them, but the online or the uh, in-person on, uh, uh, auction experience is still going to be second to none. Being in a room, bidding against people, having some drinks, making it a weekend, it's still going to be experience-driven. Now, one thing I will say, and I know a bunch of people down in Scottsdale these, especially Barrett Jackson and, and, and Meekum and those types of people, they're not taking seriously enough about how to make the entire show better. They don't get it because they've had a hold on the auctions for so long. They're very, very slow to react. I don't think auction experience is better. I don't think they're doing things in a better way. They're going to need some new blood and management of these organizations to really start to understand that the world ha has changed so massively that you better start rethinking how you treat people. I had some VIPs go to a bunch of auctions down there. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Still not a perfect experience. Still not treating everybody the way that I think they need to be. And then I take delivery of this car. Shit, actually, can't even say I took delivery of this car. Uh, it, it was something that was kind of thrown to me, which a lot of times happens with my clientele. Hey, do you know a mechanic? And I go, uh, what kind of mechanic? I got this old classic car and sticker. We paid 167 for it. And we had a little incident. I said, okay, I'll come look at the car. Uh, there was oil and fluid and all kinds of stuff all around this vehicle. And all I could say was folks don't start this up. 
whoever comes and picks this up, we'll set it up. We'll push it onto the flatbed. We got to find somebody. And then I get the whole spiel. Well, the auction house will handle this. And no, they won't. Really wealthy people are going to get frustrated and just pay what it costs to fix the car. And the auction is let off the hook again. And that's what's going to happen here. So there's a lot of you guys that reach out to me about the auction world. And there's a lot of people that I see are trying to act like they were killing it down at Barrett Jackson and down in the world of auctions and they're getting involved in it and they know what's going on. They're not really involved. It's great that you're cleaning some cars, you're detailing some cars. And I saw a bunch of detailers I respect down there uh, posting on their stories and whatnot. It's not about me banging on you, but a lot of you guys are posting irresponsible things and you have no idea about the auction world. Have you ever had a $350,000 purchase blow up? What about a $167,000 one that I'm dealing with now? Don't act like a know-it-all in this situation if you haven't put in the time. And that's what, you know, all you guys reaching out to me, I, I love that you're reaching out and I love that we're starting a conversation about improving detailers' knowledge on this type of stuff. But don't jump in the deep end as if there's not real consequences. You ready to make a million-dollar mistake? Are you ready to have those kind of problems? Do you have the insurance to cover bad advice? Do you, do you have the ability if somebody sues you because of something you tell them to do with their car collection? A lot of people in my DMs texting me, calling me. Guys, I'm going to do my best to try to educate you in little parts of this business. This world, I should say, a part of our business. But there also is a real sense of Hey, just polish up some cars for the auction, man. That's a really cool life too. You don't always have to do everything and think that there's all this money to be made that you're missing out on because you aren't. As I've stated before, I did most of this stuff for free for <laughs> 15 years of my career. You know, the last nine, eight, seven, eight, nine years, I started to make a little bit of coin off of it. Now we're making a lot of coin off of it, but there's high stakes here. You've got to understand the stakes that we have. All of you have to understand that. And it's not me trying to preach at you, but guys, slow down. Put your time in. Can you tell me the results from the auction? Can you tell the percentage points that things were up or down? Or do you just know that one car was sold for a lot of money? That isn't knowledge. So slow down. Dip your toe into that world, pay attention, give some light advice. Talk to a detailer recently on a BMW. BMW had some, some severe problems that he found. What advice did I tell him to give the client? Sell it. They're selling, you can go get another vintage BMW, one with no problems, and somebody will still give you a top dollar for this one. Pass this problem on to someone else. You know what that customer said? Oh, we love the car. We'll just have it repainted in the future because that's what it's going to need. Basically did not even have clear coat applied to it, in my opinion. So are you ready for people to not take your advice? A lot of you guys reaching out to me think that you're just going to give somebody advice and they're going to take the advice and everything's going to go uh, really smoothly and, and you're going to be in a great situation that, uh, 
you just think is going to operate in a certain way. That's not how it works. So we get to this car, it's blown up. The customer looks at me, he goes, what do you think? I said, I don't know. I'm batting about 75%. He goes, what do you mean by that? I said about 75% of every auction car that I come in contact with has a massive issue. We went back through our last five years of auctions and things that I was involved in. And that's about accurate. It was a little like 67% of every car that we took from an auction for a customer and went through it, had massive issues. Again, folks, that 20% rule, 10% rule for under a hundred thousand and 20% rule over a hundred thousand dollar purchases. So I looked at that, this guy, I said, Hey, you got a 17,000, you basically got 167,000 final purchase price. Let's bump it to, uh, instead of 16.7 uh, times two, let's do uh, 17,000 times two. So you should expect to put about 34,000 into this car. You just bought yourself a $200,000 muscle car. He looked at me. I looked at him. He said, makes sense. I'm ready to put 34,000 into it. Let's get somebody to get this engine right, whether that's putting a new one in or what. I need this thing fixed. I appreciate guys like that. And as you advance in your career dealing with this kind of stuff, that's what you'll grow to love. I'm giving you a piece of advice. Take the piece of advice. 100%. And he's probably going to be putting more than that into it. My guess would be 40 plus thousand to get this thing right. But we'll see how this all plays out because we're probably six, eight months from that thing being sorted out, quite frankly, if not a year with the supply chain issues. God knows. I mean, you just want to scratch your head and say, how does this keep happening through auction houses? But they're making so much money. The market is up so big uh, in the car world. Nobody cares. They're not going to get it right now, guys. Everybody needs to stop thinking, why, you know, why don't they do it better? I had this conversation with a cu that, that, per that customer and his representatives. I basically said, I said, guys, stop hoping that it changes. If you're going to deal in the auction world, deal in reality, nobody knows when the bottom is going to fall out of this hole uh, world, uh, it is going to happen. And you're going to be left holding the bag on this $215,000 or 200 plus thousand dollar, uh, all in purchase, but have fun with the car. Let's get the car, right. Don't concern yourself with that, but who knows? I, I can't believe that Scottsdale had such big numbers, quite frankly, it, it, it's laughable to me because th there are a lot of people that are taking their own advice and buying cars, but folks, I'm telling you, there's a bunch of people at the auction talking to people who are, who are representing themselves as auction experts. You'll hear them on some certain car podcasts. And let me tell you this, if their message to all their clients isn't you're vastly overpaying for these cars, then you're just going to have people that lose a lot of money. Now, maybe they have a lot of money to lose. There's some guys that don't. A lot of bad advice out there, man. I see guys paying a lot of stuff for, 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 non-special BMWs. I mean, the Porsche market we've discussed, but I mean, BMW guy who's defending all of this craziness for, for an E92 M3. Let me tell you something. It's not that special of a car. I like them. I tell everybody I owned an E39 M5 sold it because I mean, I, I just, I'm in the business of cars. I mean, I'm not gonna, I can find another E39 M5 to buy, but I can't make 80, $90,000 on one. I got to take the money off the table. I, I, I run a business and that's the way I view cars. But for all of you that 
want to get into this part of the business and you're super emotional about cars, you're not going to be successful. I got no emotion about cars. I love them. I enjoy being in this business, but I'm not emotional about cars in my life. I'm ready to sell a car right now in my family. Trying to talk my, my, my wife into it, basically. Hey, we need to sell this car. She loves it. I hate it. We can get top dollar for it. She doesn't want to sell it. Guess what? She's going to come home one day. It's going to be sold. I'm going to make money on it because I'm not going to sit around and, and, and act as if I'm not in the car business. I know what's going on here. We're in a very rare period of time where cars are up big. Hey, man, take your money off the table. But if you're out there spending money like a drunken sailor, you're going to get burnt by this market. Now, if you have enough money and you just want to buy what you want to buy, great, man. I love those people. Because that, that to me is exactly how you should operate. I'm paying whatever I can afford to pay to buy the car that I want to drive because I want to drive the hell out of this car because I love it. That's the way you should look at cars. Especially cars you're buying as your third car, fifth car, 10th car, 20th car, 100th car. Buy it because you like the car. And screw the price. Can I afford the price? Yep, I'm going to buy it. But you know how many guys tell me they want to make money on cars? And I just look at them and say, if you're buying right now, you're not going to make money on cars. Most of you aren't going to sell them quick enough to make money. You're going to, you're too emotionally attached to them. So I'm really happy though, that live auctions and my theory on live auction was proven correct. They're not dead men. They're, they're here to stay. They got to get better at the in-person. They got to make it a bigger event, not meaning in the auction, but around the auction, stop with all the tchotchkes and the weird stuff and the low class stuff that goes on there and start building a high class environment. Because if you guys haven't been to those type of auctions, there's a lot of, you know, what I call, you know, muscle car memorabilia, that shit's got to go. Uh, I know they sell a lot of it, but it makes the, it cheapens the auction. You got a lot of these cheap neon signs. They got to VIP this thing up because the guys moving that market are the guys that are willing to buy hundreds and, and millions of dollars worth of cars. And, and largely those guys aren't even in the crowd anymore. They're, they're bidding by phone, uh, but you need to bring them back to bring the excitement back and, and you can really do some incredible things that I just don't think they're doing, especially the Meekums and the Barrett Jacksons. Uh, they just don't speak to a lot of my clients. They don't speak to me either. I don't have anything against those companies, but they got to stop with the, with the cheapness and the tchotchkes and the, and, and the whole muscle car culture has to, they have to funnel that out a little bit because Muscle cars aren't going to be the bedrock of their business in the next 10 years. Look at the BMW and Porsche market. We know that those, those 80s, 90s, and early 2000s Europeans are going to start to drive the marketplace. And if you can't attract that type of clientele, you're going to have a tough next 10 or 15 years because the collectors, I'm coming of age as a collector, so to speak. I'm 40 years old. I got a little change in the bank. You know, you, you know, you get to a point in time where now I want to buy cars that I've always wanted. Well, Barrett Jackson doesn't speak to me. So I'm not going to look at their auction because they don't have the edges cleaned up around their, their business model. They're still talking to that 70 year old muscle car guy. And, and that, that thing's dying off, man, literally. <laughs> and uh, you know, those collectors are dying off and those, those, those guys are selling cars at a rapid rate. Uh, any muscle car guy with any brains is selling his collection right now. Uh, and probably sold it a year ago, but is definitely doubling down and selling his whole collection right now, unless he wants to drive them, enjoy them. And that's the kind of collector that you should be. You should never be in this to make money. But if you're trying to liquidate your uh, muscle car collection, I suggest you do it pretty quick. Uh, but those are my two cents. I wish I, 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 was, uh, I wasn't I was sick during that time. 
I could have been a little bit more involved, but I still had a bunch of clients down there. I still advised on some purchases. I actually just, you know, again, saw a really tragic purchase that we're going to rectify. So all good. I want to talk about something else for those of you following HyperClean Nick and HyperClean Store on Instagram this week. You saw that I had a black labeled uh, 2022 Lincoln Navigator that's absolutely destroyed. And I know what most people are thinking, because you probably don't remember the episode I brought this up, was, uh, oh, what, buffer trails? Yeah, I mean, that stuff's there. But basically, my client drove through paint slash plaster slash we don't really know now that we've assessed it. We've basically had to abrade the entire paint on the driver's side. We didn't actually use sandpaper. Uh, I'm not going to get too in-depth with what we did because I don't think that's the point of the conversation. But basically, we took a clay bar and made it an abrasive, a light abrasive, a little bit more safer. Uh, sandpaper wasn't actually going to get this stuff off the surface. So what you would be doing is just damaging paint. So we needed something with some abrasive technology like uh, a clay bar, but also had the ability to pick this stuff up. We had to use some adhesive remover. We had to use some, some uh, paint thinner. We had to use all kinds of stuff. I mean, we had to use WD-40 uh, to, to add some lubrication to, to some of the stuff that was on there. I mean, I, I mean my head is hurting. Uh, and we're not even close to even knowing if we're out of the woods because now we got to go back on Monday and Tuesday and polish it and see if we did any real damage that we stayed in contact. So let's come at this and talk about this job. Okay. Let's talk about bidding an out of the box job. I get a lot of guys starting their careers and you, and you get somebody that says I have a destroyed interior or I, ha I drove through all this road paint or something out of the box that doesn't fit one of your package. It doesn't fit your level one exterior, your level two or your level three. It doesn't fit a new car protection detail. It doesn't fit a, uh, your, your highest end total interior package or any of that kind of stuff. It just doesn't fit. Let me tell you about the mistakes I made. <laughs> and everybody's going to sympathize with me because you've all done the same thing is you've given somebody a price on an out of the box job like this. And you've looked around and you you're two hours into the job and you go, Oh no, I've underbid this job by $5,000, $2,000, $700. I just didn't bid the job correctly. That not only hurts you as an individual because you get demoralized by it, but if you have guys working for you, you pass that energy onto them, you're miserable to be around, you're losing money on this job by the minute, and you start to cut corners. And when you cut corners, your client knows you cut corners. You know you've cut corners. You're speeding through the job. You're not doing the level of work you think you should be doing but you're rationalizing you speeding through this job because, well, why should I work for free? Completely agree, but you bid the job. And I love when people say, well, you'll learn from it. Out of the box jobs are out of the box jobs. It doesn't make me bid the job better next time because when I bid $500 on that original job that I lost a bunch of money on, 
I go to the next job and I go, okay, I'm going to double it. I'm going to say, this is an out of the box job. I'm going to bid it for a thousand and I'm still a thousand low. So what did I learn? That I'm just going to keep making the number so big that I can't lose. And all of a sudden you're at a $10,000 job to clean up some road paint. So what do I do now? 24 years into my career. It's a fair question. It's an honest question. It's a question you should have. And I can only think of one way that I've made this work on these big time out of the box jobs. Honesty is the only way I've made them work. I actually just tell clients, tell people that contact me what I'm looking at. I can't bid because I have no way of knowing until we start to unravel the problem of exactly what I'm dealing with. So here's how I bid it. I have a shop hourly rate that I have. And every time we're working on your car, we hit a clock, we hit a stopwatch and we charge you that shop hourly rate until the job's done. So if we do it in 11 hours, you get charged for 11 hours of shop time. If it takes me 25 hours, you get charged for 25 hours, but I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to bother you. I just want to come to an agreement that this could be a very expensive thing. And I understand you being weary about believing me on this. But the reality is, guys, if I take a loss on the job, I damage my business and I do worse work for the client. 100% of you, just like myself, when you massively underbid a job or you think you can do something for a certain price and you can't, you start to cut corners. That's human nature. We all can't lie to ourselves. We all know we've done it. Nobody's perfect. You wanna, you're in business to make money. So again, 99% of the jobs that we take at the shop, I can bid with an exact number and live with it all day long. But I got these jobs, about 1%, 5% that I come across, that I got to look at my client and I got to say, look, I have no way of bidding this. This isn't what we do all day, every day. The reason I can give you hard numbers on putting a full front end PPF protection or doing a, a level two correct and coat. The reason I can give you those numbers is because I know exactly the amount of time it's going to take within a half an hour. And I'm, I'm so dialed into my business. Like most of you, I can tell you within a half an hour when that job's going to be done. So I can make it fair for you. I can make it fair for me. That's what I do. 99% of my time is those jobs. You're now asking me to fix a problem on something you hit on the road that we can't even identify. I still don't know if it's plaster covered in paint. I still don't know if it's some type of new age road paint. I have no idea. We got, we had to order from Lincoln. The, the sound deadening for the wheel wells because they're ruined. We can't even work on them. Two minutes into working on them, I called the customer. I said, we're going to call Lincoln. We're going to order new wheel well covers. You guys know that carpeted wheel well stuff, sound deadening stuff. So I'm not even going to try to fix them. We need to order them. Okay, do that. But because I was honest on the front end that this was a job we were just going to have to fix and it was going to cost whatever it's going to cost, and they accepted that premise, it's a very, very enjoyable experience. It's not enjoyable to watch us 
with a vehicle with 500 miles on it, a black label, $130,000 limo edition navigator to watch us have to tear into it the way we are. That's not enjoyable for me at all, but why it's okay. And this job is going to get done to the best of our ability is because I get to look around and I get to say, there's no losers in this job. The customer's not getting us cutting corners. We're not going to cut corners because we're just starting a clock every time we work on the car. Everybody's making their money. My guys are doing a great job because they're getting paid. Everybody's happy. But how many of us, myself included, have experienced absolute horror with these jobs? And if you're a customer listening to this, you know, a do-it-yourselfer that runs up on things like this and you can't fix them and you got to hire a detailer, if a detailer gives you a bid on something that you know is like this and it's out of the box, you need to scratch your head a little bit and say, is this guy going to cut a corner? How do I know that this guy's bidding the job properly? See, this is where we get to a real positive place in detailing. When we can start to talk to customers honestly and just say, there's some stuff on cars that we can't bid because we don't do that kind of work, but I can get it done. But you need to accept that this is out of the scope of what we do every day. Folks, this is the only way I found it to be enjoyable. How many of you have bid an interior, got there, and there's dog hair on every inch? There's stains on every inch. And 20 minutes into the job, you're already cussing the customer, you're cussing your team, you're cussing yourself, and it's nothing but burnout city. You burn yourself out doing that, you burn your team out doing that, you burn customers doing that. Guys don't want to hear this. Sometimes you need to look at the customer and say, I don't have a number. But Nick, what if I lose that work? You're better to lose work than lose money on work. You're better to lose work than have all of these things happen that happen when you do things like underbid a job. None of that stuff happens in a vacuum. I want you guys to think about that because I've made the mistake too many damn times in my career and I've just stopped making the mistake. When it's a job that's outside the scope of the five or six things that we do all the time, front end paint protection, you know, paint protection of any kind, I should say, paint protection film of any kind, windshield film, coatings and corrections, and our maintenance detail. When I get out of that stuff, I got to be very honest with the client that I have really very few times have a way of accurately telling you what I should charge you. I have no problem saying it. I did have a problem 12 years ago saying it, and it cost me on countless jobs. Because when you're early in your career, you just think any work is great work. Now, I would never advocate guys turning work down, but there is a way to talk to a client more openly on these, again, 1% to 5% jobs, meaning jobs you just don't come across more than 5% of your career. You just don't. That's not what we do. Detroit, destroyed interiors are probably the most frequent that detailers have this kind of problem. I certainly did. Now we have a very blanket statement about interiors. If you haven't cared for your interior, our, our packages get pretty pricey. But we don't see a lot of destroyed interiors in my business anymore because I make it a habit of trying to attract 
intelligent people that don't destroy car interiors. The amount of germs and bacteria in a car interior, you, you see a mom and dad driving around a Range Rover that's absolutely filthy on the interior, that's, that's clueless. The bacteria that your, your kids and you bring into a car is, is off the charts. So we don't deal with it, but early in my career, I deal with it a lot. And many of you are dealing with it and you're losing money every day and you're beating your team up and you're beating yourself up. Uh, you're beating your body up and you're not understanding that I can make anything worthwhile. We'll st we'll still do destroyed interiors. Don't get me wrong, but we're going to make it work for everybody. Team members pay is going to go up uh, on destroyed interiors. I'm going to give them a slice of the pie and it's nothing for me to look at somebody with some of these large SUVs and say, Hey, your interior is going to cost five to $800 to get in back into shape thousand bucks. In some cases we had a brand, we had a, a woman and a navigator funny enough with 30 day plates on it about six, eight months ago that already had ruined plastic from kids cups melted to cup holders and things like that. And 30 day plates on the, on the SUV. Imagine if you'd have seen it six months later, nobody had touched it. I mean, you're talking about a thousand dollars just to get it halfway decent. But many people would say, oh yeah, you know, our, our $300 total interior will whip you back into shape. And you just start looking around and go, uh-oh, made a mistake. That's what I want people to realize. It's not about me uh, saying I have it all figured out, but, you know, hopefully it helps some of you guys. Uh, and you start to learn that there are jobs that you shouldn't bid at all. That you should sit your customer down and say, hey, this is, this is something that, uh, matter of fact, I even told my customer, do you want to go through insurance? Of course they didn't. They're not those types of people. Uh, but I, I brought that up. I, I was very, very frank with what I thought should take place in there. I actually thought they should have gone through insurance, truthfully. And I tried to push them that way because I wanted to be fair to them. But the minute they chose me, you know, we could be looking at several thousands of dollars to fix this. And I told him that I said thousands, this is thousands to fix. And if that number turns out to be 5,000, that number turns out to be 7,000. If that number turns out to be 3,000, that's what they've agreed to. They have their eyes wide open because I took 20 minutes to, to open their eyes and tell them exactly what it was going to take. So I hope that little, you know, experience I'm going through helps you. Uh, you know, some of you may have a better way. I'd love to hear that, but I'm back. Our Friday, Saturday posted episodes are back. I was gone, got sick for a minute, but I'm back. MTE episodes that have run in my place. Uh, Marty did such a great job with that. Can't thank you enough. The numbers are up huge for the Pints and Polishing podcast. I can't thank you guys enough for the support. I hope you guys have enjoyed these few episodes I've been doing. We're going to keep rolling them this year. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend.